Good evening. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our opening hymn this evening is hymn number 62, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
I ask you to please stand. Our psalm for this evening is Psalm number 96, and we read it responsibly, again, the congregation reading those portions in bold type. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared of all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord the glory Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. You may be seated. Our first scripture lesson this evening is recorded in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. At this time we sing the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, hymn number 647.
reading is recorded in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. We sing hymn number 105, praise God the Lord, ye sons of men.
I ask you to please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for this evening is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Congregation may be seated. I ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, born in a manger, later crucified for us, that we might have forgiveness and everlasting life with you in heaven. 
We pray your blessing this night upon us as we consider your birth. Consider how you came into this world humbly, that you might redeem us and make us your own. We ask your blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we consider what it is that happened on that first Christmas night in Bethlehem. When we hear this account from Luke chapter 2, it's certainly nothing like all the stories we hear about Santa Claus and the North Pole and his elves and those things. I tease, tease Lee and maybe others that, you know, Santa Claus is presented as an existential Santa Claus. He's only real. He can only do things if you believe in him. But if you don't believe in him, then he's not real to you. And of course, that's the way many people view Jesus and his birth, that it's only real to those who believe, but not real to those who do not believe. I'm not sure what they're going to say when Jesus comes back in the clouds of glory on the last day, except that they will mourn because Jesus is real, whether you believe or not. As we see in Luke chapter 2, Jesus was born in a real time and in a real place. We read that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And so we see how God was moving behind these events, because as we heard in the prophet Micah, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Know thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler of, in Israel. And so God moved the most powerful man in all the earth at that time, Caesar Augustus, to decide it was time to register people for taxation. And in order to do so, they all had to return to the place of their ancestors and their register. And we also see that at this time, Cyrenius, also pronounced Quirinius, was governor of Syria. And so it was at a very specific time. And of course, it was at a very specific place because we read that Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of a house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so we see that the birth of Jesus did not happen at some mystical place. It wasn't once upon a time, but it was at a certain time and in a certain place in Bethlehem. And God moved through Caesar Augustus to move Joseph, who was of the house and lineage of David, and you can read his genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, he moved him to go to Bethlehem that Jesus might be born there. 
And of course, incidentally, Mary's genealogy is also from the house of David, but not through Solomon, rather through Nathan, the son of David. And that is in Luke chapter 3. And so we see that God was at work, working through civil government, through the most powerful man in the world in order to accomplish his purposes. And of course, this is the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. You know, it begins all the way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, when God said to the serpent in the hearing of Adam and Eve that I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so God spoke from the very beginning of the coming of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, who would undo what the serpent had done in the garden when he tempted Eve and Adam and Eve fell into sin. Psalm 130 is another beautiful prophecy, though we could spend all night going through the prophecies in the Bible which point ahead to the coming of the Messiah. But in Psalm 130, at the end of the, the, the Psalm in verses seven and eight, it says, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so this psalm speaks of the Lord, all in capital letters indicating it is Yahweh or Jehovah God, will come and redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We didn't read it tonight, but also in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us what Emmanuel means. It means God with us, because this child is God himself, Jehovah God, with us. He came into this world as a man to redeem us. One of my favorite Bible passages in all of the scriptures, even though I'm sure you're positive it's from 1 John, uh, this one happens to be from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4 in verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so God promised, and in the fullness of time, he sent forth his Son, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. He was made of a woman. As it says here, he was made under the law in order that he might fulfill it for us. And he came to redeem them that were under the law, which he did by going to the cross and offering up himself as a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. And it also tells us why. That we might receive the adoption of sons, that we might place our faith in him and be adopted as God's own dear children through faith in Jesus Christ, having our sins washed away in Jesus' blood. And so our Lord Jesus Christ came in a real time, in a real place. He fulfilled all these ancient prophecies and many, many more in the Old Testament. We might just look at some other elements of 
the Christmas gospel. Joseph, of course, came to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, and so she was far along in her pregnancy when he came. And we read in verses 6 and 7, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When you think about this, we find out, you know, I always had as a child growing up because you see all the, well, both movies and then in in the Bible story books, you know, Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. Mary, of course, is riding on a donkey uh, in all the illustrations because she's too far along pregnant to walk uh, 90 miles or so from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And they get there that night and there's no room in the inn and that night Jesus is born. But that's really not what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us, you know, that they came there because... Joseph was to register that Mary was great with child. And it says, so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And so the Bible indicates that they're there and her days are accomplished. So they're there a while. We don't know how long. It might have been a a few days. might have been a few weeks. It might have been a month or more that they are there but her days are accomplished that she should be delivered. Sometimes that's hard for us to understand because we think, oh, when I need to go and register, I'll go there and, you know, I might have to stay in line a little bit, but, you know, I'll be back tomorrow. Things just didn't work that way, uh, not even a few hundred years ago. Think of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, they call the, the diet in Augsburg... And come the date, you know, people are just kind of getting ready to go. They're, they're not even there. It doesn't start until long after it was supposed to start. It's kind of like uh, what I've heard about Nigerian time. If church is at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 8 o'clock in the morning, there might not be anybody there yet. Maybe 8.30, people start to show up, and they might get started by 10 because time was not a big factor. Well, going to register for the tax you know, it had to be done, but nobody was in a hurry to get it done. And so people were probably there for a considerable amount of time. And while they were there, the days were accomplished as she should be delivered. And of course, it's not like the motel would suddenly be open the next day. People stayed in the inn and the city was packed with descendants of David. You think about how many wives David had and then... He had a son who was king after him, Solomon, who had a thousand wives, if you count his concubines. So there were a few descendants of David around to go to Bethlehem, uh, to a small city suddenly overflowing with people. They probably weren't the only ones camping out uh, and waiting to get registered before they could go home. And so there was no room in the inn And it's then that she brings forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. If you think about Jesus' birth, again, we need to be kind of careful. Uh, We all have the picture of the stable, 
And there may have been a stable, but it may have been a manger out in the field. Nowhere does it say it was even a cave or anything like that. It just says that there was a manger. And so Jesus was born, and for his bed he was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Who is this child who is born? And we'll talk more about this that this morning. But the passage that really strikes me the most is from John chapter 1, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then at verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, of grace and truth. And so the eternal word, the eternal son of God, who created all things, he was there with God in the very beginning. He is God. Nothing was made without him. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And so when we, I always say, you know, when we read how God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul, it's Jesus pre-incarnate Christ who created Adam from the dust of the ground, who gave him life, not just physical life, but spiritual life, so that Adam knew God, loved God, trusted God. And of course, we can say the same also of the creation of woman, that Jesus was certainly a part of that as, you know, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, uh, was involved in creation of both man and woman. And yet, here we have the eternal Son of God born humbly of a virgin and laid in the manger because there's no room for him in the inn. And you know, things really haven't changed a whole lot today. Uh, people celebrate Christmas, but how many celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus? You know, I criticize Santa Claus as the existential, existential Santa Claus. However, you know, there's really not a whole lot wrong with the guy. The only problem is he has come to crowd out the one who's important because Santa Claus is a fantasy and Jesus is the eternal son of God who created all things, who gave us life, who came into this world to redeem us. And so Jesus, this babe lying in the manger, humiliated himself or humbled himself, taking, as it says in Philippians, the form of a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of death. Or I think of the passage in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him, or it was necessary for him, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And so Jesus humbled himself, 
in order that he might take our place and redeem us and make us God's own. In the Gospel of John, it says that he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And if you think of Jesus being born there in the crowded city of Bethlehem, how many people knew that this was the Son of God? And even when the shepherds came later and proclaimed what the angel had told them, how many people believed that this was truly the Messiah, the Son of God, come into the world to save them? We might ask the question, well, where do we find our Lord Jesus? And again, I think that same truth that I just read from John chapter 1, you know, that he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, tells us a lot that if we want to find Jesus, we're probably not going to find him in the biggest cathedrals or the rich palaces of this world. We're going to find him in places where the word of God is preached in his truth and purity and his sacraments are administered according to his own institution. We're going to come where people are humble. We're going to find him where people humble themselves, acknowledge their sins, and trust in him and his cross for mercy and forgiveness. And I'd like to close with John chapter 3, because certainly this relates to what took place there in Bethlehem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was because God loved you and he loved me, and he sent his Son to redeem us. And this is where we see the richness of God's love for us. This is how God loved us. He sent his Son to be our Savior in order that whoever believes in him would, should not perish in God's judgment, but have instead everlasting life. And I always think verse 19 or verse 17 is kind of important here. We're used to reading verse 16. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus at his first coming did not come into this world in order to condemn the world, to judge, and condemn all to hell, but he came that people might repent of their sins and look to him and his cross and be saved. We are still in that same time today. We are not here in order to condemn the world, though it's certainly easy to do because we can find all the faults, all the places where people are not living in accord with God's word, but we're not here to condemn the world, but rather that people in this world might be saved, that they might come to see their sins and look to that babe born in Bethlehem who then went to the cross and paid the price, that in him they might have 
everlasting life. God grant that you place your faith in the Lord Jesus and that you speak of him to others that they too might trust in him. God's blessings to you this Christmas. Amen. This time we will bring forward our offerings. you to please stand and join in the prayers. O thou God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whose grace we again celebrate the birth of our Savior, we come into thy presence with holy joy, for thou hast gloriously fulfilled thy promises given to our first parents after the fall, to the patriarchs, to Moses and the prophets, and to all thy people of old who waited in hope for the salvation of Israel. Accept, we beseech thee, our humble tribute of praise and thanksgiving, and grant that through the birth of thy Son we may be born again in the Spirit unto the blessed hope of everlasting life. O Jesus, thou Son of God, we bless thee for becoming flesh of our flesh and for enriching us with inestimable gifts from the treasures of thy grace. Thou hast made reconciliation for iniquity, so that now we have peace with God and access to the Father through faith in your name. Thou hast become the Son of Man, that we might be made the children of God in thee. Bestow upon us simple, childlike faith, that in thy lowliness we may adore thee, and give us grace to behold the glory shining through the veil of thy humanity the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Speak to us the words of life, that as thou hast loved us, so we may also love thee. Be our light in darkness, our abundance in want, our very present help in trouble. And as thou didst descend from heaven to earth for our salvation, so may we have power to ascend from earth to heaven to the glory of thy great and adorable name. O Holy Spirit, we praise thee for thy comfort and guidance. Incline our hearts to meditate devoutly on the sublime mystery of the Nativity and help us to embrace our mediator in true faith as our most precious possession. Fill our hearts with peace and comfort and hope and life and joy in him. Let us so keep the feast that at its close with thy benediction upon us we may resume the burdens of our several callings, rejoicing in our salvation and delighting to do thy will. 
O Holy Trinity, who wouldst be praised for mercy rather than judgment, we glorify thee, for thou hast had respect unto the lowly. Let thy covenant of peace endure forevermore, that we may rejoice in thee, world without end. Amen. We join also in the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. now the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. You may be seated. We will close with hymn 646, which is Silent Night, and there are three verses there. And if you notice on the bottom of your sheet, there's a composite verse that Christine is going to sing a solo, no? <laughs> that we're going to sing in German if she will pardon our poor German. Uh, so, Silent Night, hymn 646.
Well, welcome to all of you. A merry and blessed Christmas to you. And uh, God's richest blessings to you and your Lord Jesus. As far as announcements, just a reminder that uh, though tomorrow is Christmas, it's also Sunday. And uh, so we will have Bible class at 8.30 and our Christmas Day worship with communion will be at 10 o'clock and invite you all to come and join us for that. Sorry about the microphone not working too much. I wore an extra layer and when I put my arm up here, sometimes it cuts out. So after we move a few things, I'll use this other mic again and it'll probably work better. Uh, also, the youngsters among us, uh, at least from Sarah on down, and maybe a few others as well. You see Lonnie back there, she has a, a Christmas bag for you. God's blessings. Thank you. again, uh, as, as the congregation, we would like to thank you for all of your service, for your faithfulness to the word, for uh, leading us in worship, and, and for everything that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, you, you have served us faithfully for all these years. We thank you that you could serve us again. And uh, from a grateful congregation, we'd like to give you this. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank all of you. Sorry. It, is, it is a privilege to serve. Thank you. 